0: We all want to have a good life, and we all strive to be happy. So is happiness really the key to a good life, or is it something else? Join me today as we talk about what really matters to your long-term happiness and health. I'm your host, Dr. Heather England, an executive coach, psychotherapist, and relationship expert. Welcome to the Great Sex Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of relationships, whether that's your relationship with yourself, the people who matter most to you, such as family, friends, your partner, or coworkers, or your relationship with your sexuality. I'm so excited about today's episode. I'm hoping it's going to inspire positive change in your life. All right, so let's jump right in. We often hear that happiness is the key to a good life, but what if there's a lot more to it? We've all heard about the things that help us to be healthy, consuming unprocessed foods and less sugar, including less alcohol, drinking lots of water, getting exercise, getting enough quality sleep, lowering cholesterol, and minimizing stress. In fact, that's probably the bulk of many people's New Year's resolutions, But there's something else that's a key to health, and it's also a critical contributor to having a good life, and that's cultivating good relationships. Today, we're going to explore the profound insights from the book, The Good Life, by Robert Waldinger and Mark Schultz. Yeah, I know, we're talking about a book, but I want to share the insights of this book because they're pretty phenomenal. This is an awesome book. The authors were researchers that conducted one of the longest running studies on adult development, and their findings had the potential to reshape how we approach our overall well-being. Harvard sponsored the study, which began 85 years ago in 1983. That's right. This is an 85-year-old study. It followed people and their descendants and their spouses throughout their lives to measure the types of things that impacted their health and their overall well being. The research team sent participants detailed questionnaires every two years and reviewed health records every five years and actually interviewed the participants in person every 15 years. So it was pretty comprehensive. And the study started out trying to find the secret of success. And what they found was that your success was related to your overall health and happiness, and it was dependent upon the types of relationships you had. The people who were the most satisfied in their relationships at the age of 50, right in the middle of midlife, were the healthiest and happiest at age 80. Isn't that amazing? We can choose to pour love and energy into our relationships, and it's not too late if that hasn't been a priority to you, whether you're 20, 40, 60, or 80. I want to go through some of the most important findings and talk about how that applies to your life. So let's kick things off with a revelation that might reshape your perspective on relationships. The Good Life, the book, and the study emphasizes that the quality of our relationships has a significant impact on our overall well-being. Meaningful connections with family, friends, and your romantic partner contribute to a happier and healthier life. So imagine coming home after a tough day to a partner who truly understands you. They don't just listen, but they really get you. The warmth of such a connection doesn't just ease your daily burdens. It contributes significantly to your overall happiness and well-being, and it really helps to lower stress. And I know some of you might not have a partner right now, and if that's you, that's okay. Imagine being able to share your deepest thoughts and feelings with a friend who truly listens, understands you, and shows up for you that's what we're talking about. The study also emphasized the importance of emotional intimacy within your long-term relationships, such as marriage. Couples who felt emotionally connected and supported tend to report higher levels of marital satisfaction and happiness. So what's emotional intimacy? Well, it's the connectedness and the closeness that you feel with someone. It's the ability to share yourself and trust that your partner's going to be there for you and not judge you. It's the feeling of being seen by someone. And it's also the flip. It's your partner opening up and sharing their thoughts and feelings with you. And this can be a really hard thing for many people for a lot of reasons. And I think men especially get a really bad rap about this. I think many women want men to be more evolved and to have deeper and emotional conversations. But really, how are guys supposed to learn this? Little boys aren't taught to show their feelings. In fact, they're often shamed or ridiculed for it. Imagine innocently sharing a feeling and being told something like, boys don't cry or stop being a pussy by a parent or an older sibling or your peers. That would pretty much shut down your willingness to be vulnerable or even to acknowledge your feelings. So many times, guys especially will grow up To compartmentalize their feelings and not really let them out and not show them. It's just how they're socialized. And the more we can allow little boys to express their feelings, the more we're going to change that in our society. In couples therapy, often our work is getting both partners to open up to one another in a vulnerable manner. And that requires each person to recognize and name their feelings and to understand the connection between their thoughts, their feelings, and their behaviors, how they act. I'm wondering what it's like for you. Are you someone who can easily share your feelings? Can your partner? Can your children? What would it take for you to improve your ability to connect in this way to the people that are most important to you. And not everyone deserves to know this part of you, to know your deepest feelings, just the people that matter, the people that love you and support you. So let's talk next about friendships. The study found that it's not the number of friendships that you have, it's the quality of the friendships. Quality is much more important than quantity when it comes to friendships. Instead of cultivating numerous surface relationships, it's better to focus on going deeper and cultivating truly authentic and meaningful relationships with a small group of friends. Having a few close intimate relationships is much more beneficial for our longevity than having a really large social network. And you really just need one or two friends that show up for you when you need them and give as much as they take. I've read some research somewhere that we all have the capacity, and that means like time and energy to nurture about 12 relationships. So that includes close family members, loved ones, and friends. It's really not a huge group of people when you think about it because cultivating a really deep, meaningful relationship takes intentionality and it takes time. The study also found that high conflict relationships had a more detrimental effect on health than the benefits gained from positive connections. So what's that mean? Well, that means we need to eliminate toxic relationships from our lives. So do you know someone toxic? They really destroy your happiness. Let's think about what that looks like. They might be narcissistic or negative. They might put you down. You might feel used by them. They might suck you dry. When you're with them, you may feel completely drained of energy. And afterwards, you're like, ah, oh, I'm exhausted from that. We've all been in situations with these types of people. And what's worse, is sometimes they make you feel drained of energy, but other times they leave you feeling kind of crummy about yourself. The bottom line is that these types of toxic people really have no place in your life. And if you want to be happy, then you need to do some friendship pruning and get rid of some of these toxic relationships. Next, I want to talk about loneliness. This is such a big subject because it's really become an epidemic in our world. One in four Americans actually reports feeling lonely, that they have this pervasive sense of loneliness. And remarkably, Great Britain has actually appointed somebody called a Minister of Loneliness to address what's really become a major public health challenge. And unfortunately, lonely people are less healthy and they're less happy. Many of us felt this ourselves or observed this in our children during the pandemic when everyone was so isolated from friends and family. The Harvard study found that loneliness was just as negative on long-term health as alcohol and smoking. And people who are lonely, well, their health declines much earlier in life than people who don't feel lonely. So simply put, Lonely people actually die earlier than those who are connected to others and have some type of social support system. Plus, chronic loneliness increases a person's odds of death in any given year by 26%. So if that's not a reason to develop a strong support system, then I don't know what else is. Plus, we probably all know somebody that might be lonely. And Gosh, imagine what it would be like in our world if we actually reached out to people that we knew might be loners, those people who are really shy, or they're quiet, or maybe they just kind of don't fit in as well, and we were kind to them. It might really change their lives. The research also suggests that having a reliable and supportive social network helps protect people from mental health issues. Well, that makes sense. If you have a strong support network, you'll probably be less likely to struggle with things like depression or anxiety, and if you are struggling, you'll likely have people around you that will support you and support you on your journey to better mental health. Imagine a situation where you could openly share your struggles with a friend who not only listens to you, but helps you navigate through all of it. Naturally, that's going to be so much better for your mental health. That's one of the reasons counseling exists, to help people be able to share their deepest struggles and worries with someone who really cares and listens to them and can help them to create a better life for themselves. Another really interesting finding is that those with strong relationships tend to experience less cognitive decline and memory loss as they age. Woo! That's a lot. I don't know all the reasons why, but my guess would be that being engaged in meaningful conversations challenges and expands our brains by keeping us active and exposing us to new information and ideas. And maybe it just makes us use our brains more. Okay, so now we've got to rewind to something that might be hard for some people. And that's that the study found that the quality of relationships in our childhood, particularly with our parents, has a lasting impact on our overall adult health and happiness. That makes a lot of sense. Imagine a childhood that's filled with warmth, support, and encouragement. That foundation becomes the bedrock of a more positive and fulfilling adult life. Unfortunately, not everyone experiences that in childhood, or they experience a real mixture of warmth and support and maybe a lack of support. For some people, maybe their parents were loving and supportive, but they fell into a group where they were bullied, or they never felt like they were good enough. I know many people who've experienced this or something similar and they've spent their entire lives working on improving their self-esteem and feeling like they're good enough. In fact, many more people than you would ever imagine struggle with childhood wounds and a core belief that they aren't enough. They're not good enough, not smart enough, not thin enough, not attractive enough, not likable enough, not successful enough, etc. A big part of our journey in life is learning that we are enough. Just because we exist. And that's why unconditional love is so important in parenting, because you're teaching your children that they are enough. And unfortunately, some people got the message that they weren't enough from their parents. They didn't grow up in those homes where they felt loved and supportive. Many of those people had to find that type of love and support from their friends. And for some people, They created a family of choice through the friends that they grew in their lives, the friendships that they nurtured because they didn't get their needs met or get the love they needed in their home environment. The positive message here is that even if your childhood experiences didn't put you on the perfect path to the good life, you can improve your happiness and life success by working on your mental health, and by investing your time and energy into nurturing great relationships with the people who matter. And what I personally find motivating in all of this research is that it's never too late to create rich relationships, even if it hasn't been a priority to you. I remember working with a wonderful woman once, who was so focused on climbing the corporate ladder and raising her children and then caring for her aging parents that she never seemed to have the time or energy to nurture friendships. One day, she realized that she felt so alone and without purpose, and she wanted to change that. So what did she do? She learned how to play pickleball, and she joined a pickleball league, and she began to make friends, and for the first time in her life, She had the time and desire to focus on herself and new relationships, and she absolutely blossomed. And these new friendships gave her this energy and confidence that carried over into the rest of her life. That's the power of good relationships. As we wrap up today's episode, let's think about what these findings from the study mean for our own lives. Maybe it makes you realize you need to reach out to a friend that you've lost touch with or to prioritize emotional intimacy in a relationship. I wonder if you could pick up a pen or if you're driving or you're working out, just make a mental note of a few connections that you really want to nurture in your life Maybe you can even think about, is there a toxic relationship that you need to let go of? And if you want to learn more about how to nurture your relationships, I invite you to sign up for a free resource I have on 10 Days to Better Relationships. You can find it on my website, heatherengland.com or my other website, lovefilledlife.com. That's lovefilledlife.com. And you can find both of those links in the show notes. Thanks for joining me as we talked about relationships, one of my most favorite subjects. And if you found today's episode value, why don't you share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast and maybe even leave a review. It's those things that allow me to keep the podcast going. Until next time, my wish for you is to cultivate connections and to live your best life. Thanks so much and take care.